This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to Episode 73 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Have I got an episode for you. In this episode, I talk with Ashley Lynn Olson, not just about her book titled Confined to a Line, but about her life and what she can teach all of us. The blurb about her book says, quote, it's about the resilience of spirit overcoming life's most challenging obstacles, including a car accident that killed her father and paralyzed her when she was 14 years old, unquote. Now, despite the tragedy revealed in part of that blurb, what she talks with us about in this episode is, in my opinion, way more than that. I don't even think resilience of spirit, quote unquote, measures up to what Ashley models for us and teaches us with her life. Ashley does not identify as a Buddhist. She does identify as spiritual, though, but that's not quite it either. If I could point to a completely true Buddhist attitude or way of thinking in a person, I would point to Ashley. And you'll see why in this conversation. But first, a little more about her background. So 10 years after the accident that killed her father and paralyzed her, Olson faced death again while suffering with and healing from the kind of infection resulting from a pressure sore that Christopher Reeve died of, while she was confined to a special bed 24-7 for eight weeks. She wrote journal entries, entries, including many poems. But there's more. In early March 2020, Olson yet again faced death, somehow, surviving a car accident on the back roads of, in southern New Zealand. Remaining calm and positive, Olson rescued herself when she returned home to a world of mandated COVID shutdowns. She was inspired to share her story so others might be reminded of the beauty, joy, and love surrounding us all the time, even when things look the most dire. But that's if we slow down and appreciate, as she says, the small things. Olson is currently continuing to write another book or two, poems, plus she writes magazine and website articles. Olson has written, photographed, and videoed hundreds of articles and guides about travel, 
from the perspective of a wheelchair user. For her website, wheelchairtraveling.com, which she developed and launched in 2006. Ashley says she has never considered herself disabled. Let me repeat that. Ashley says she has never considered herself disabled. And with that almost unbelievable statement, she demonstrates something I talk about in this podcast and in my book, and that is not to label anything or anyone, including yourself. Now, that's not something I'm always very good at. And if you're like me, this conversation should help inspire and motivate you to be better. The conversation starts now. Hello, Ashley. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I've really been looking forward to this. Thank you so much for having me. I shared your bio in the introduction um, to our conversation, but you know, it's helpful if you could tell a summary of your story, you know, in your own words, you know, me doing your bio, I never figure does it much justice. I like, especially somebody like you who has such a dramatic story, it would be nice to hear you tell it. And if you could like link it in to some, uh, insight into the seeds or that led to the birth of your book, uh, confined to a line. I mean, I do know, you know, kind of, it was like the beginning of the pandemic and maybe you were just bored. I, I don't, yeah, but no, I know there's probably reasons and that I'd like you to share them in your own words. And, and then if you remember any of this, that that's good. If you don't, that's okay. One more thing that I was going to add on there. <laughs> like lots of questions <laughs> now. Well, just for your summary, China, given an idea where you could head for, right? Uh, a brief theme of what you think you have to teach in your book um, or in your with your life. Um, because, you know, there's a lot you have to share that I think that our, our listeners would love to hear about the positives of what would normally be seen by many as a profoundly depressing and negative story. So... Is that too many things to pinch you on? It, it's a lot, but so let me, let me just kind of go with, you know, kind of what's popped in my head and we can just, we can just go from there. Go ahead. So, um, so just let all your readers know, um, I have a spinal cord injury. I, I, my level is technically T11, L, L1, L2. And I was paralyzed in a car accident when I was 14 years old. My family was driving to a reunion out in Colorado. We're from the Northern California area. And on our way out there, we were on the border of Nevada and Utah. And our car hit a really horrible monsoon rainstorm. Nothing that I had seen before. I recall uh, stopping for lunch uh, before the rainstorm and it was bright and sunny day, blue skies, you know, hot weather in the middle of the desert, you know, typical from what I, what I figured. And then um, not long after we ate, all of a sudden the, the sky just turned black, absolutely black and lightning was striking 20 feet away from our car. And it, it was just bizarre to me. I, I couldn't say that I was fearful. It was just bizarre. I was curious and just, it felt very eerie, eerie to me. Like I was in a different world. And my mom turns around and says, Hey girls, make sure you have your seatbelt on. 
I don't have a very good feeling about this. And in the car it was my mom, my dad, uh, my younger sister and myself. My, my older sister wasn't in the car. She was older and working and, you know, a teenager and just not cool to, to go on a family trip with us. And so she wasn't in the car, fortunately. And so when my mom turned around and said, you know, make sure you have your seatbelts on girls. I said, oh, wait a second, mom. I, uh, I dropped a CD and I unclicked my seatbelt and our car hydroplaned. Um, started spinning out of control. A sheet of water came on the road and we fell into a ravine. We rolled off into a ravine. I'm not sure how many times the car rolled. I'm sure it's written somewhere in some police report, but um, rolled enough. Um, and the, the side that I was on um, was completely smashed in, but I was actually thrown out of the back of the vehicle because I didn't have my seatbelt on. But the side of the car that I was on was the same side that my, that my father was sitting. And that side of the car was completely destroyed. I mean, that took the brunt of the impact and my father died on that impact. His neck immediately snapped. And my mom, her legs were crushed underneath the dashboard. Um, she had multiple surgeries following that. Um, you know, she couldn't walk herself for, for many, many years. Uh, she's basically walking on metal, has all sorts of rods and pins in her legs. And the little sister has minor injuries. She broke her uh, elbow, did a full rotation and her opposite ankle. And the little sister remembers um, hearing me in the distance, uh, crying and swearing my head off. And uh, she tried to crawl through broken glass in order to, to get to me, but passed out herself. And uh, we were there for, I can't remember how long, you know, maybe an hour or two hours or so. And luckily somebody did see us because the way that the road, uh, the way the, the path of the road was, um, there was a ravine, like I said, right next to it. And where our car was positioned, nobody could really see the car unless you were really looking down right. into that ravine, really stretching your neck. So by the grace of God, somebody found us. His name was John, coincidentally. Um, just like from the Bible and um, Angel John. And he went down to assess the situation, saw that my dad um, had passed and immediately heard a man's voice pushing him. He, he literally said that he felt pushed um, in the direction of, of where I was. I was thrown 200 feet away from the car and wow. in a bush, nobody could see me. And so he you know, walked over to this area and there I was black and blue, not breathing. And so he turned me on my side, got me breathing again and called for help. And my family was airlifted to the um, LDS hospital in Utah. Um, and on the way there, I, uh, I passed away. I died. They had to uh, bring me back to life. And then later that night as well, I passed away again. And they definitely told my mom that I wasn't going to, that I wasn't going to make it, but I did. <laughs> I did. I woke <laughs> up and uh, I had a collapsed lung and broken ribs and broken clavicle and breathing tube in me and, you know, all sorts of IVs hooked up to me. And, uh, I remember waking up and the word paralyzed was not in my vocabulary. I did. I, that just didn't dawn on me, but I, I knew something was wrong with my legs. I just couldn't physically express it because I was on all these pain meds and everything right. else. Uh, but I knew something was wrong with my legs. I knew I couldn't walk, didn't know the word. And I knew that my dad was gone somehow, some way. Um, I just, I just knew it. Um, I was questioning the nurses because I just wanted some confirmation and they were very concerned and, and nervous. They didn't want to give me that information. They wanted, didn't want to be the first person to tell me. Right. So they got my grandmother and she was actually the one to, to tell me. And so I fought to 
you know, to get those breathing tubes out of me and learned how to sit up in bed again, which was a nightmare to learn how to do again, um, being paralyzed, losing your complete sense of balance. Yeah. Uh, it took forever to be able just to, to sit up and have my arms straight out again. Um, and then after I, uh, recovered enough from there, I was sent to, sent to rehab and, um, you know, was at rehab for, for a while, just learning how to sit up, you know, putting on my pants, being able to sit, to function like everybody else. And, uh, I was very grateful going through all of this experience that I had, um, an athletic background. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up uh, playing soccer and basketball and I was actually on my way to, to go to Stanford, uh, with a full ride scholarship for basketball. I had the grades, I had the basketball skills. It was a done deal, but, uh, as life had it, you know, I was going in one direction. Life wanted me to go in a, in a different direction, but I was grateful because during physical therapy and, you know, all of these steps that I had to take, I knew the course to, um, you know, not get frustrated with myself and not want to just to be at the finish line. I knew that I had to train, I had to go through training, you know, and, wow. you know, and, and, you know, get myself up to the right physical strength and, you know, not get stressed out that I can't put my pants on in 30 seconds. So you are, what you're saying then is it was your athletic training, um, that uh, gave you the patience and the foresight that this was going to take a while <laughs> and that it, it, you really had that presence of mind then, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've always, I've always been like an incredibly patient person, very, been very, um, deep and poetic and, you know, sports just kind of came in my life as something that uh, I like to do. Cause I like the, um, the release of the mind, you know, when you're just, you know, shooting a basketball, like right. the whole rest of the world fades away. And I'm just focusing on shooting that basketball. And I could feel something like in my body and mind and soul that kind of allowed everything else just to relax, you know, and then I could go, go inside and, you know, study or do my homework and, you know, feel refreshed and, and invigorated because I wasn't, you know, stressed about in, in my head the entire time. So I definitely love sports in, in that regard. So yeah, I definitely, um, use that when I first became paralyzed in order just to, you know, stay focused and not get upset with myself or, or my surroundings, you know, everybody else around me was doing things so much faster and walking around and, I'm like, okay, they've been training longer than I have. You know, I just have to take it one day at a time. And eventually like, I'm going to be, you know, sporty, you know, Miss Sporty wheelchair girl and be able to get around and jump out of airplanes and travel around the world, but not today, not today. One step at a time. Yeah. So, you know, you, um, are you paralyzed like from the waist down? Is that it? Or yeah. From like the, I would say like the top of my like mid thigh. Oh, mid thigh. Oh, so, so yeah. So you could, you can sort of twist your upper torso then. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah, that's when you said it was hard to just sit up. I can, I mean, I can imagine I've had like knee injuries and just screwing around in bed is sometimes hard because you use your legs to, to do those things and you don't even know that you're doing. Oh yeah. And I guarantee you it's, it's a whole, I mean, people can pretend like, like, to not use their legs, or if you get knee surgery or something like that, but there are still muscles firing in those legs and balance points in your body. That's helping you to balance it. It absolutely 
amazed me how much you lose and how much I had to retrain myself to, to balance myself. Cause like I said, my, my mom, she, her legs were severely crippled after the accident. Her legs were completely crushed. She basically didn't have any legs after the accident. Um, but her balance was significantly different than mine. She had, you know, normal balance. It was, it was hard at times. Sometimes she might wobble a little bit, but it wasn't even close to, um, as unstable as, as I was. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, I think you already kind of answered the question uh, that I asked about, like, um, you know, the the uh, sort of the the theme of what you have to teach. I think in some ways it's that athletic training that was was not just the physicalness of it and the patience of learning to use your body in different ways, but also the mental, the mental patience, you know, that I think. Well, I know I certainly wouldn't have it. I can tell you that, but I think a lot of people would have trouble. Um, not what, you know, not, not, it sounds like you almost immediately accepted that you were just going to have to do that. And there you go. And is yeah. that true? Or yeah, I mean, you- yeah, I mean, as you asked me uh, at the very beginning, kind of to, to talk about this, what kind of came to mind was um, I, I never considered myself disabled after never paralyzed never that that word never entered enter my head even when they said you are paralyzed and yeah, you will yeah. forever be paralyzed yeah yeah um i was just like okay so i just can't walk or stand okay that to me isn't being disabled i can still drive a car i can still go to college i can still dance i can still you know my, my. Jump out, yeah, jump out of airplanes. I just can't walk or stand. I can still, you know, go to the grocery store. I can still move around, but it's just the mode of transportation that, that I'm using. Amazing. Amazing. That is amazing. Um, so when you, this probably has something to do with the, uh, the, the idea or the seeds you said, you've always been like a, have that poetic sensibility. Clearly you have a philosophical bend too, from reading your book. Um, uh, so what did someone say you should write a book or did you say I should write a book? Um, I, I've definitely always been writing poems throughout my whole life. Um, so I've always kind of envisioned one day, you know, putting together a, a book of poetry that's always been in, in the back of my mind. I've had um, a, a couple of um, poems published throughout the years in random places, uh, but nothing, you know, you know, that big or, you know, to, to celebrate, but just, you know, little things. Uh, and so I, I've always loved to write, always loved to write. Um, when I was a little girl, I wished to be an artist or a writer when I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I wanted to do. But then I also knew too that, uh, I didn't think that it was also possible. I was confused on how I was actually going to make that possible because logically I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, a Stephen King or, you know, (laughs) the chances of me being, you know, like a big time Hollywood screenwriter or something like that, you know, like chances are, uh, I don't know, not to say that wasn't impossible, but um, I kind of knew what odds I I was up against. You know, if I wanted to be a writer, that to me, if I wanted to have a career as a writer, like that to me was the only way of being successful that you had to make it really, really big. Mm. And, um, you know, the whole blogging world that wasn't, you know, invented yet. And, um, and just the freedom of, you know, being like a self, you know, self-publishing and, you know, how flexible, you know, getting workout today is, um, that, that wasn't, you know, available then. So I, I couldn't envision that then, but I just, I wanted to write. And so, um, 
when I first started my website, wheelchairtraveling.com, it definitely was an outlet for me. So I could talk about, um, you know, of course, tips and tricks and, you know, some of those basic fundamental stuff, but then I could also like throw in a couple of like beautiful phrases and play on words and, you know, little touches to really enjoy the, the writing aspect of what I was doing. And just everything that I, I had been through, like being paralyzed and after the fact and, you know, loving writing and everything. Um, I knew there was a book in me for sure. Like it, it was, it was hands down, even going through college, but it was kind of my, my feeling that I just had to go through a little bit more. I needed to have a little bit more experience to have people be able to relate to me in order to be able to express myself a little bit better. And little and did it, you know that the sort of experience you had to go through to get this to happen, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, I, so, so my book, Confined to Aligned, is about uh, this time of my life in 2010, about 10 years ago, when I had to have surgery for a pressure sore. Uh, this pressure sore uh, is from sitting, you know, too long, um, basically sitting on very, very hard surfaces that I wasn't aware of when I first became paralyzed. Uh, when I first became paralyzed, I would jump on the ground or I would sit in a hard plastic seat at school or just uh, any and everything. Like I didn't, I didn't think about it. I was just like, okay, it's fine. It, it's flat. I can sit on it. It's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't have as much cushion, you know, on, on my, uh, lower extremities as I would like. And so, you know, that skin just kind of breaks down, especially if you're sitting a lot, a lot, a lot. And if you're hitting on, if you're sitting on something really hard and your bone is then rubbing against it, you know, that's just a, a recipe for, for a pressure sore, but it was a very small one. It was a tiny, tiny, teeny, teeny, teeny size of a pea, size of a pea and as shallow as if you were to fall and skin, skim your knee. So just basically nothing. I, I, I didn't think much of it. I would put a, a small little bandaid on it, you know, and I would go to the nurses and they would you know, look at it and clean it and say, okay, you're doing a good job. Just keep doing what you're doing. Try to stay off of it. And I'm like, okay, I'll try to stay off of it. You know, being paralyzed, you know, in college, you know, I'll try to stay off of it, you know, and do the best that I could. And, uh, but it, it just, uh, it, it didn't heal. It, it wouldn't heal. And finally I saw this nurse and she was like, oh, what's this freckle on the wound? And she poked it and ended up being a track leading up to my bone which uh, could mm. instantly lead to a bone infection or blood infection. And of course, after a certain point, it's irreversible. So it's definitely serious business is what Christopher Reeve died from. And he had all the money in the world to have assistance be taken care of. So um, it's definitely something um, in the paralyzed world that, that we have to be aware of. So I had to get surgery, um, which means they had to go in and debride it, uh, which ended up not being enough. They actually then had to go have a sex and second surgery. And I had to uh, do a skin flap, which they take muscle from my leg mm -hmm. and kind of place it over uh, the infected area after they debride it. So um, some healthy tissue can attach itself and, and grow. But that second surgery, um, well, they both actually required a lot of bed rest afterwards. Afterwards, like I just had to be in bed. That was the doctor's orders. Um, period, like the end, like I could only get up to go to the bathroom after the first surgery. And that was it. But the second surgery, I couldn't even get up out of bed to go to the bathroom. I was in a nursing home, placed in a nursing home. Well, it was called a short-term care facility, but it was basically a nursing home. I was by far the youngest person there by like 40, 50 years. <laughs> and um, 
Yeah, a lot of people there, you know, have had strokes or, um, you know, recovering from surgeries or, or falls and that kind of a thing. And I had multiple roommates. And for 24 hours, for eight weeks, I had to lay flat on my back to heal in the specialized bat in the specialized bed. I couldn't even sit up to take a pill or, you know, drink a glass of water. I had to lay completely flat 24 seven, eight weeks. So I was really actually getting into meditation uh, right before that, ironically. And uh, I really wanted to do uh, some kind of retreat. I'm like, oh yes, I really want to escape. And, you know, I really wanted to be forced to, you know, do meditation, like have everything, you know, go on a retreat, you know, and for a weekend or a week, you know, just no cell phones and just really, you know, commit to this, commit to this whole like meditation theory and figure it out. Be careful what you wish. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) And so God was just like, oh, you wanted just a week or a weekend? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you eight. I'm going to give you eight weeks. And so, I mean, I kind of knew that when it was kind of, kind of starting too, that this is what the path that God wanted me to do, even though it was uncomfortable, but I, but I accepted the uncomfortable aspects of, of my environment until they just didn't become uncomfortable anymore until they just were, you know, mediocre. They, you know, I, I wasn't bothered by them. So as I was going through this as well, um, I'm just like, Oh my goodness. Like there's so much that I'm learning from this. Like, this is so profound. I'm like, Oh, this is definitely going to be added into my book that I write one day. This is definitely going to be added into like this big book of what I learned when I was young after the accident and all these different stories and people that I met, I'm definitely going to be adding this hospital story in. But then when COVID happened and everybody was locked down and feeling very frustrated, they, they couldn't go and travel and go to work and go sit at cafes and, you know, just do all the things they normally do. Uh, they felt that their freedom was restricted. I wanted to shout to the rooftops that, Hey guys, wait, you can still go outside. You can still breathe and get together with family members and go for a hike. And no, you maybe can't travel to China or, you know, to Europe as you wanted, but there's still this whole other world around you. There's, there's parks, there's amazing things in your own backyard that you need to explore that maybe you haven't explored. And so I really just wanted to remind people one to, yes, this is a story about being confined. This is a real story about being locked down. Um, and then I wanted people to, to see that and be reminded like, oh yes, no, I, I can still go outside. Like I still have some freedoms. There's still gifts that I, I have in my life. I can still feel the sunshine on my body and hear the birds and, you know, smell flowers and yeah, just going for a walk to me is, is, is such, is such a gift. And so I just wanted to remind everybody of that. And then, of I course, see. remind everybody about, you know, all the internal strength that we have as well. You know, you know, well, that's resilience. that's the thing I was going to come. You actually have uh, uh, gone beyond where my next question <laughs> was. Uh, so, um, yeah, because um, I told you when we talked previously that the format of your book captured me um, when we talked prior to doing recording. Um, and, you know, I should explain to people you this this book has a unique format of it's a, it's a combination of poetry and journal entries, which to some people might sound really boring or something like, um, yeah, I think even one of your reviewers said, I bought this book 
because I thought it would help me sleep. And then I ended up reading it all in one night. And that's the sort of thing that happened to me um, when I, I, I didn't think I would, I didn't do it for sleeping, but um, it, I just whipped right through the thing because it was just so fascinating to kind of, you know, it was like getting into you, into where your mind was because, you know, poetry, it means, you know, what you, I'm a, hack poet i call myself i put I, I in my book there's poetry too but um it, it's it's like poetry you know everybody can take from it what they will so you know it's like it speaks to each person in a different way but then your your journal entries are clearly personal journal entries about what you're going through so um I, the thing is is i felt your moments of despair and depression for your i felt moments of despair not your moments but my moments of despair and depression for what you were going through but it was your unbelievable spirit and ability to steer your thoughts in a positive direction that kept coming to the fore throughout this book and it was like rescuing me from the despair and the depression uh and you know talking about the pandemic, a, a review of your book, this a reviewer, uh, the person's name was Louise, wrote that um, uh, about the lockdown. She said, we all got frustrated in 2020, but to read this book made you think you need to check yourself at the door. It was full of enlightenment, perseverance, humor, and reflection of the author trying to gear down um, to the most basic needs and find peace within her limited surroundings. It is a lesson in extreme tolerance, patience, and drawing on one's own strengths. A must read to find it in yourself too. And so what this reviewer commented on was something I kept thinking about when I read your book too. I kept thinking about this, you know, although your story is about your 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 wound he healing adventures and about your initial paralysis and the hospitalization and the confinement that came with that but it doesn't speak to only people who have suffered in that way oh yeah I mean, yeah no that's it, definitely not the focus at all we have all felt confined in some ways even before the pandemic there's yep. always times you can feel confined but as the reviewer pointed out, you know, the pandemic brought that feeling home in full force to many of us. And 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 uh, can you say more about what you learned in the experiences of your life and what you wrote about in that book that would speak to those feeling frustrated or even angry at having their normal, quote, normal life seemingly being taken away? You sort of already did. But one of the things that I heard you say but in between the words just now is like there was this little and I know you didn't mean it in a negative way, but there's this little sarcasm about <clears throat> I know you can't go to a cafe and I know you can't. Um, but, you know, I hear you. It's like I was even feeling like that to people. It's like because I have a I have an autoimmune condition. So, you know, although I don't feel disabled, there are, there are things that I haven't been able to do there. And then during lockdown, I was more locked down than most because I, 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 my immune system is compromised. So it's like, I, I, I kept thinking that these people complaining about not going on trips and not going to meet their friends in a cafe, it just made me feel like, well, you brat. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? And then when I read your book, I was like, oh man, that is totally where I I see that you, that what you could teach that a, even in a life other than normal or other than what we think normal should be. Cause I don't, I think if anything, what people who are aware could take home from this pandemic is there is never a normal really. And it's only in your perception. So even All if you're in the perception, that that's is right. 100% true. Yes. Even if you are forced, you know, to live this different kind of life, you can have a beauty and a peace that escapes our view when we are living normally, right? Yeah. We don't you, you, you could be, you could be a billionaire with places all around the world, but you could actually feel locked down all the time based on, you know, your life and your schedule, because, you know, you have people following you the moment you wake up, people are, you know, demanding of you and you're expected to do this and this and this, it's, you're not really in control of, of your life. And you're just kind of, you know, pushed around and expected to do all these certain things. And so it really could happen to anyone. It could be any scenario, any, any situation, whether you're rich, poor, you know, male, female, it, it doesn't matter. And you know what you're saying there, that's the key. That's the, that's, that's kind of where I was trying to go with this. It's like, even though we're living quote unquote, think we're living normally, we're, we're missing out on the beauty and peace that you found when you were confined, right? Yes, all and, those and, tiny things, all those yeah, very uh, tiny things, those, those beautiful patterns, you know, those geometric patterns, you know, that God puts out there, you know, the pattern of, of a flower, you know, and how symmetrical it can be and um, how it looks like a star. And if you keep looking at it, you know, there's a star within a star within a star within a star, you know, it, it reflects infinity, you know, but you may have not paid attention to those things before. You may have just been like, oh, walking by, okay, there's a flower. Yeah, I, I see flowers all the time. It's just a flower. But because we have a little bit more time on our hands, I felt like we were able to just slow down a little bit more and pay attention to some of those details. Be like, okay, yeah, there's a flower. Well, let me just look a little closer. You know, I have nothing else to do. Well, let me just, you know, just go a little bit closer and then, you know, getting lost in it. Yeah. And you, in your book, you talk about, I don't have the exact passage pulled out, but in your book, you talk about this one little tree outside your hospital window and looking at the leaves and, and you would spend hours, you know, um, where the rest of us, you know, you know, I, I know people and I've had, I, I've experienced this too. Um, sometimes you don't even notice that when, like, if you're like, I, I have a, um, uh, a whole row of uh, burning bushes outside my house on one side of the yard. And I'm, I'm always trying to catch when, um, first of all, when the leaves come, right. When you first see the first leaves and not, you know, the trees are easy because there's this like wash of light green and you can catch it. But when I was looking at, look at those and I always make myself say, okay, I'm going to catch when the leaves first pop and then I'm going to, in the, in the fall, I'm going to catch when they start going red. And it's like, you know, normally if you're like rushing around in a busy life, you, you, you might not even notice that the leaves have gone totally red until they were starting to drop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's like the, 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 you really capture that completely when you, um, when the way you talk about like that tree outside your window and so forth. And it's like, is that something you did prior to being confined? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, even before I became paralyzed, uh, my mom lo loves to remind me how I would uh, 
I would love to run ahead the family when, when we'd be hiking somewhere. I would run ahead from everybody. And then, you know, my mom would be all concerned, like, wait, where's Ashley? Where did she go? Where did she go? And they would find me just sitting by myself, like on a rock or a tree stump or something like that, you know, just by myself in nature, just wanting just to be immersed fully in nature with like nobody else, you know, opinions or demands upon me. I just wanted to be, you know, right there in nature. So I, I've always had a very, very intimate relationship with, with nature. And also and actually, powers of observation, which is, was, which is a, it's a skill that a writer gets is, you, is your powers of, of observation seem very well tuned. And you had that prior to your accident. Yeah. Um, powers of observation, noticing all the little things, but then simultaneously being able to also then kind of see those little things and how they make up the bigger picture. So seeing, you know, all the cells and, you know, the worms and the caterpillars and whatnot, and then being able to see, okay, we need all of this in order to create this beautiful environment. You know, this beautiful environment doesn't happen unless we have all of these little tiny things working together. Yeah. It's like uh Titnat Han. I don't know if you've read any Titnat Han says about interbeing and that's the Buddhist concept of interdependency. It's like none, you know, I don't happen except for you. Right now that's not, that's a stretch because yeah. we don't even know each other, but you, really, except for right now, but you know, it's where we are, everything in my life is, is happens because of every other thing in my yeah. life. Right. Yes. And vice versa. So um, in case people think you're some superhuman being, uh, I want to read another one of your poems that reflect. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I want to show that you have a human side too, because okay. you seem a little superwoman-ish at this point, right? <laughs> you, you seem. Oh, I, I can be de- super down to earth, you know? Oh, okay. okay. Well, I, I mean, I'm down to earth, but I, I don't know. I'm just a very spiritual person, but you know, in- I've, I have troubles and frustrations just like everybody else. Yeah. In one of your poems, you wrote this just, I'm just going to take two verses from the poem. It's a longer poem, but um, quote, it's hard to live day by day and never knowing where this path will lead. And if I'm growing, the finish line is out of sight. Every moment, a constant fight. I want my life back. I want my freedom back. Unquote. And so, like I said, I wanted to share this to show that you're not some abnormally positive person. Oh, yeah. This is definitely not a book where I'm just like, oh, yes, I figured it all out, folks. And, you know, like, I'm so much better than you. Like, no, 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 no. Like, this, this is why I also wanted to put this out there to show like the raw, you know, you know, negative side or emotions, you know, where I, I, I did suffer. Like I wasn't in a great place, you know, but I really worked hard to get myself out of that space. Yeah. Well, can you talk about maybe some of the things and we'll get into some of it later, maybe too, but some of the things that enabled you to get out of those dark places, right? You know, like, I mean, an average person, a person who isn't paralyzed, who isn't flat on their back for eight weeks, unable to move, um, is going to, there are going to be days where you're going to say, this stinks. I, you know what I mean? It's like, and you just, you, you, you swirl around the story swirl. You can't get yourself out of it. You know, how do you, what, what would be some of your, uh, 
you know, clue us in to some of your little tips and tricks on how to uh, not wheelchair traveling tips and tricks, but uh, mm-hmm. how, how you um, saw things brighter when you at that moment when you're your inside of you is screaming, I want my life back. To focus on the simple things. Um, I think there was, I think there might've been a poem um, in the book. There was a poem that somehow did not make it in, in the book, unfortunately, Um, but it's called uh, Simplicity. And I can't remember if if I made it in the book or, or not, but it's basically, yeah, just really taking in all of those tiny, tiny, tiny little wonderful, simple things that make life and existence more enjoyable, but taking time to acknowledge them and not rush through them and being like, okay, this, you know, this, this feels good. Like, I, I, I appreciate this. Like, um, when the nurse every morning would come in with, you know, a pink basin of warm water, you know, in a washcloth and she would hand me a washcloth and I got to put a warm washcloth on my face. I mean, not, not only did I think about all the love and care that she had just, you know, provided me, you know, and who she was as a soul and, you know, the relationship that we have, which was very important. But then, I mean, I even thought of, you know, the factory workers who even made this plastic bin, you know, possibly in a different country, you know, in this, in this wash rag that I was using on my face, all of these things that had to come together so I could feel a little refreshed. So I could feel a little bit of warmth on my face after sleeping. Oh, that is so Buddhist. Um, so, <laughs> so, so that, um, that's really good. And, and that it is true. It's it, it, usually when we're telling ourselves negative stories and we get trapped in those, if, if we can just you know, change our focus on something like uh, watching a fly on the outside of the window. Or in my case, sometimes I can bring myself out of stuff by just feeling my feet. Just, you can't feel your feet, but maybe you feel your- On the outside, but I can fit on the inside, which is always kind of a weird thing to try to explain. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Where it just feels like, I don't know, there's like a shell where it's like, I can't feel if you were to like tickle my feet, you know, I, I couldn't feel that. But I can feel my blood flowing on the inside. I mean, it's like when your feet would fall asleep, you know, if you're sitting, you know, like too long and whatnot, you know, and they're numb and you can't, if you were to touch them on the outside, you can't really feel them. They've gone numb, but you can feel the tingling, all the tingling on the inside. That's kind of what, what my legs feel like all the time. You feel tingling or just. Yeah. 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 Tingling. But sometimes I actually do feel like, you know, blood rushing or stagnant or. Oh, really? Oh, so, so interesting. So, so I guess you could feel your feet. Um, so yeah. In a way, in a way, but not like how you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) if I, if I feel my feet on the floor, it's like, maybe it's also a grounding, I guess a grounding. And it's like, it takes me out of my head and and puts me back into my body, which I think in many ways is so important when you're like, yeah. Yeah. Spinning those. I want my life back stories. Yeah. Oh, touching, touching the earth is, is a huge one for me. I mean, yeah. Touching a tree, you know, and just, you know, like holding it, putting your hand, you know, on, on the, right. On the tree itself, you know, and just feeling it for a moment and just giving thanks, you know, that the tree is there. I, I, on a daily basis, I thank trees for, you know, for being around and being being in my environment and and still existing and, and guiding all of us. So, you know, 
I want to say your publicity person reached out to me to make me aware of your book. And um, I always like to tell people how I came to uh, know this book or this person. And uh, I was somewhat skeptical, be honest with you, of the relevancy to my podcast listeners. You know, I mean, you know, this is a Buddhist podcast. So it was like, okay, why, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, I, it's not that I didn't want to read the book. It wasn't fascinating to me. I just didn't, didn't know how it, I was going to work it into a podcast. But then, then the, the plot thickens. I read the book in one day, as I said, um, because it just, it was one of those kind of reads. And I saw so many Buddhist messages, like the one you just delivered here. Um, and I'll quote another example of something you wrote that I think is absolutely brilliant. Quote, observation without attachment, including of my own emotions, became the daily practice, a technique reiterated by meditation masters over the centuries. See the world without being offended without the personal baggage filter, just let it be and be, unquote. That's similar to what we yes. were just talking about, but wow. Yes, acceptance, Ashley. acceptance. Yeah. I like I, absolute, absolute acceptance for whatever situation that you're in and don't get, don't get frustrated if you can't, you know, accomplish something or go on the path the way that somehow your brain has envisioned like, oh no, this is the only way to do this and be and, and accomplish something because that's not true. Like there's absolute infinite ways that any of number of things can, can be possible. And specifically from, from my book, um, it reminds me of uh, a moment when I, I dropped my TV remote. Is either my TV remote or my nurse call button or it could have been a combination of the two. I can't remember if uh, it was one of those devices that had them both on it. Um, but either way, I dropped the call button and it completely was out of my reach. And I remember feeling like a flood of, you know, just old factory um, emotions, just like, oh, you're paralyzed. You can't get up and get this remote. You know, you have to lay down. You can't walk. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't walk. You can't get it. But then after I accepted it, I, it was like, I saw this. I'm like, okay. I see that you're feeling this right now. That's, that's fine. That's, that's fine. I'll sit you right here, you know, on, on the shelf or whatever, you know, like I won't forget about you, you know, like you're right there. It's fine. I, I acknowledge that you exist, but okay. Now that we've acknowledged you, is there anything else? Is there anything else that's possible? <laughs> is there anything else that can be done? And then, you know, an idea popped in my head, like, no, I couldn't get out of this bed and, you know, walk up and, you know, pick up the remote. Oh, but I could grab this hanger or this little device that I, this little hook that I had found and just use that to basically just fish for, for the device. And in two seconds, in two seconds, it was back in my hand with basically <laughs> no effort whatsoever. See, now that's it. And what you said there about, uh, in that quote, you said, uh, um, you know, observation without attachment. Um, that's something that, you know, there's a lot of Buddhist practitioners who try and try and try to get that sort of awareness and can't, uh, and some who aren't even aware that that is kind of what meditation is all about. Um, and awareness is all about and awakeness is all about, you know, um, you said earlier that you were trying to, you were getting into meditation and, the, and, and so how did you get to this, like, 
almost advanced level of meditative awareness. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you, did, did you read a book? Did you go on a retreat prior or how, how did this, this come to you? Um, so yeah, like I said, I was, I wanted to do a meditation retreat, but, uh, that didn't happen. Um, I was like looking into some and, you know, had booked a trip, but then ended up having to, to cancel it because I was hospitalized. But, uh, fortunately, um, I can't remember who recommended, oh, it was a girlfriend, a girlfriend of mine recommended me the book, a new earth by, by Eckhart Tolle. So that was the first book that, that I read that definitely kind of opened me up to what I was already kind of experiencing um, and things that I had already known previously, but it was just put in different ways and definitely allowed me to expand on, on different things. And um, from that, uh, a, a family friend of mine, uh, my mom's good friend, she is very spiritual and she actually had a bunch of meditation tapes from all different kinds of masters, you know, that she has collected over the years. Um, some incredible, incredible masters, you know, I'm sure if I name them all off, like you would know every single one that, that, I, that I'm talking about. But um, it was really funny though, because they were cassette tapes, not CDs, yeah. cassette tapes, you know, when we were in 2010. And so my mom shows up with this box of tapes and I'm like, great, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> yeah, and, who, who has a cassette player Yeah, anymore? exactly. Like, <laughs> does anybody have a cassette tape player anymore? And so my mom actually spent um, like an entire day, like going from, you know, different, you know, drug stores and grocery stores and radio shacks and stuff like that, trying to find a cassette tape player, which he found eventually. And so I listened to these tapes. I didn't watch TV like at all. There was actually, um, uh, well, the World Series, the Giants were, were in the World Series. And since I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, that was definitely something, you know, fun to kind of, kind of watch and, you know, be a part of. But for the most part, I just was observing my environment and just listening to these meditative meditation masters and trying to apply what they were saying in a hospital environment, which I thought <laughs> would be like the ultimate school of, of testing, like some of their theories. I, I would definitely say so. I would, you know, that's, you say you're writing another book that should be part of your second book. You know, it's like, it, it, should, it should be about you know, your whole meditative experience, but, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, did you share what you were learning with your nurses and doctors or they didn't care? <laughs> um, well, the doctors were definitely not really, you know, yeah, they picture, you know? um, but, uh, the nurses, yeah, there was definitely, I mean, none of the nurses actually work there anymore. So I I'm so, sad that I want to share this book with them because it really oh, reflects yeah. like how much they, they mean to me and they, none of them work there. I went to the hospital and none of them work there. And, um, I'm still going to try to, to get in the book somehow, but they were kind of really weird about giving me their address and yeah, which I totally understand, which I totally understand for lots of reasons. So I'm still, I haven't given up on that. So I'm still very hopeful that maybe one day I'll still be able to, to share this with them. Oh, but be... yes, as I was going through, you know, you know, listening to some of these tapes and, you know, reading some of these books, I would ask them, I'm like, well, you know, what do you think of this? You know, oh, I, I heard this and, and it actually very much encouraged them because they're in a short-term care facility. Like I said, basically a nursing home where there's just all sorts of shenanigans going on all the time. 
They're completely overworked, overstressed, understaffed, all that kind of stuff. So for me, just to kind of, you know, remind them of like a little bit of peace and a little piece of like, um, of wisdom, you know, that yes, this isn't, this is just one layer of, you know, one piece of the puzzle, you know, and there's just so many other pieces, you know, to this puzzle that we call life that they really, really appreciate it. And I felt like by me expressing it, then it allowed me to internalize it then even more so. So it's just like this, this mirror of sharing and, and understanding, which was very beautiful. Yeah, that's kind of why I asked the question, because sometimes when you're working with something that's kind of new like that, in, unless you like talk it out, you know, it, 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 it doesn't get cemented in. So I, I thought that was great. Um, yeah. Another quote I'd like to share, I, I, I just have to share so many quotes and I, I, this, this, I, I, I'm not sharing so many that people shouldn't buy the book. Trust me, there's plenty more. Um, so an, another quote I'd like to share that I think is so important in how to get through life following, you know, in Buddhism, we have the eightfold path, um, which is right understanding, right intention, right speech, right action, right mm-hmm. living, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. I think you you exhibited a lot of that in your book. But one of the things that, that I think is, is critical and important and something I uh, talk about a lot in, in when I teach and in my podcast is this, this little quote, um, quote, swallowing one's ego all the time is quite the challenge, but it can certainly be done and I'm up for it. First step is to be aware of it, unquote. And see, yep. that's the thing about... Um, uh, awareness is so important. I have, you know, people I teach it in Sangha members say to me, you know, I, 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 I want to do this. I, I want to uh, meditate or I want to do this, um, um, bow every morning saying, um, unity. And I want to do a bow every night saying, thankfulness. And I want to do this and I want to have gratitude. And so they have the intention, right? So they have the right intention, but the problem, you know, we have the intention to like do something, think something, speak something differently, but it's a completely other story to remember to do that, right? Yeah. It's, it's a, you want to do it, but you don't remember to do it. How did you come to remember to be aware. What was your practice? I think I was in a special situation because I was so isolated for the most part, most of the day, and I had such little interaction with the outside world that when I did have the chance to to interact with somebody that I was never operating on... um, I was, I was never operating like a robot. You know, I was always so very conscious about everything that I was saying and and feeling and really just trying to give it space and time and and, and understand it. And sometimes of course, again, not perfect, you know, a girlfriend would come over and I might get carried away and chatty and, um, I, I would, I would feel myself switch into, um, into a different mindset where I could feel myself feeling more anxious or feeling, you know, not good enough or that something was wrong. Um, that was one of the main, main flags, which is like, I would feel like so that something was wrong, you know, that I, 
a girlfriend was visiting me and, oh no, I shouldn't be laying down. I should be, you know, fully dressed and have my makeup on and, you know, you know, be just like them, you know, but and how I was, was wrong. And that wasn't the case. Anytime that something was just like, oh, this is wrong. You know, like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, wait, 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 is it, is it wrong? Is it wrong? Is there anything really wrong with this moment? And so I was able just to continuously, you know, check in with myself. And that's why I feel like during the pandemic, I feel like it really was such a gift if people were open to it, that it really allowed them in order to explore this whole aspect of life. Yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 I reeled about that a lot, but <laughs> I had a lot of podcasts. Um, I did a, a, a special series of po- podcasts or, and actually I have a sangha that's virtual. And then I opened up another sangha that was totally open and to the public because I thought people needed to have somebody to talk about it with it and maybe look at things in a different way. Um, it, because I was with, I was totally with you. It's like, like what a perfect opportunity, you know, to, to stop and smell the roses. Cause that's all you got to do. Yeah, I, I, perspective, <laughs> you know, like, you know, yeah. can I be upset, you know, that I can't travel to Europe or, you know, travel to a different country or travel to across the country. That could be one perspective or I could have the perspective. Oh, wait, I have a little bit more time. We're all looking for more time. Like I have no time to, you know, learn a new language. I have no time to read a book. I have no time to, you know, take better care of my health. I have no time to learn how to meditate. And this was the time that I feel like life gave everybody be like, you know what? You said you had no time. Here you go. Whatever you were interested in, whatever you needed to have put more work towards, you know, family life, relationships, personal relationships, whatever your own self, like, your relationship with nature, like, here you go. Like, here's an opportunity, like take advantage of it. You're not going to get it again. Probably. (laughs) I remember sitting on my uh, uh, sun porch and it was probably April of 2020 and watching the birds. I, I, I'm a big Hmm. nature freak too. And so I was watching, watching. yeah, I was watching the birds at the feeder and, um, and all I kept thinking is, and I, you know, I was writing poetry at the time too, because I, it was a good time to just quietly write poetry and I never had time before so yeah and, and what I think like, it was was really great is that like with, with poetry sorry for for interrupting no you. that's okay um, no 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 um but like, like with poetry like you were talking about the time what, what I loved being in the hospital is that um with the poetry that I would write um because I had so much time I didn't force anything I would literally just wait I would wait I would be staring at wow. that tree outside and I'd be waiting and waiting and waiting I would wait for a phrase and sometimes the phrase would come and I would analyze it. I'm like, is that, is that beautiful enough? Does that, does that really speak to me, you know, or could, could this be said a little bit better? And, um, you know, maybe it could, maybe it couldn't, maybe I lost, you know, the best phrase, maybe, you know, maybe I didn't, but I felt whatever I needed to say, like would, would come and whatever I felt like really needed to be written down is what I would write down. And I did write down every single phrase. Cause I didn't feel like all of them you know, were valid or, Right. Uh, right. Really, really true. So I just, I waited, I waited, I waited. And sometimes like it would literally be all day that, and I would only write like maybe seven lines. Yeah. And that's the, what, that's the best way to write poetry. And I remember sitting there thinking though, the whole time, and I was interrupted my poetry writing and it wasn't interrupted because the whole time I'm just looking out, watching the birds and looking at everything going on and, and appreciating the difference in how the whole neighborhood sounded because people there was no rush hour there were i didn't hear the trucks on the freeway you know it was like 
wow, yeah. this is like a, just a very different experience, you know? <laughs> and, and, but one, I kept the, the, the phrase that kept coming through my mind is the birds don't know there's a pandemic. And it's like, that was the, the thing that I, you know, that sounds like really stupid, but it was, it was the thing that made me feel so secure. It was like, the birds don't know that. Look at them. They don't know that they're. Yeah. Yeah. They're acting the same. You know, the trees are still there. You know, yeah, like these they're, are they're, like our grounding, you know, yeah. foundations of life. Right. So, so anyway, um, and here I go quoting you again. And this is what I wrote that I think is the clincher to living a content or happy life, despite what happens to us. And we've touched on this before because whenever I, we say this word, you go, ballistic, I noticed, um, uh, a quote with paralysis, I was given the lesson of being still accepting what is unquote. And that's it, isn't it? Accepting what is my teacher yeah. uh, taught this phrase and he got it from his father, who was his teacher. And actually we just lost our teacher uh, unexpectedly He passed away in March. So this, this, this phrase means more to me. Um, he taught, this was the word, acceptance is transcendence. And they would make the is with the emphasis because yeah. we don't usually transcend our negative circumstances. You know, we deal with them, right? Um, that kind of acceptance is kind of passive, right? It's like resignation. Oh, I guess I got to accept it. What am I going to do, right? But there is, an, uh, there is a dynamic and positive acceptance, which clearly you've embraced. And that acceptance is the acceptance of change, is the acceptance of things happen, you know, and nothing stays the same. There's constant change, you know, one minute you're walking, the next minute you're paralyzed. I mean, yeah. that's the nature of life, right? And that's the only constant. <laughs> yeah. You know, was it your accident that gave that taught you that acceptance the hard way? Oh, you said though before at the beginning of this conversation, I've always been incredibly patient. Is your patience part of the like little trick to your acceptance, or you know what I'm saying? Or do you get my question? Well, I mean, possibly. I mean, like possibly. I mean, like patience definitely. I feel like they, they overlap, you know, I feel like, you know, it's kind of the same thing. And I, I, yeah, I feel like patience is acceptance, you know, like whatever, yeah, right. whatever, whatever the situation is, you know, like you're okay with it. You're, you're patient with yeah, the because, present moment. Yeah. Because if you're patient, so, something I lack, by the way, <laughs> if you're patient, you're patient enough to wait out the change. Right. And because that's what I always say, I always say, you know, there's this, this, there's a philosophical, philosophical concept in my listeners know this um, in um, Buddhism and it's, it's called emptiness and emptiness doesn't mean empty. It means full of possibility and emptiness means there's nothing um, including a self that's discrete. In other words, a, a, a discrete self, a discrete experience a discrete moment in time because everything is interacting with it all constantly mm -hmm. and it's constantly changing so if, if one has the gift of patience which you clearly do then then you can out you can outweigh the change and when and they always say the gift of emptiness is 
don't worry about it. If if your day is crappy today, don't worry about it. It's going to change. Tomorrow yeah. might be good. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like like with patients, I, I feel like I always look at, okay, just like what, what's possible at, at the same time, you know, like, so patients like, you know, what's, what's possible? Like, what, what can I do right now? Like I'm lying in bed. Can I get up? No, can't get up and run around. I can't, you know, like go to the movies with my friends. What can I do? I can go internally. I can write poems. I can work on a book. I can, you know, maybe create like a new project. Maybe I can do drawings and I don't know, like just work on something else, learn a new language. Like I can do something else. Like there's, there's never, you know, no possibilities. There's, there's maybe you have to change courses. Maybe you have to change that perspective, you know, and look at things a little bit differently, but there's always, always possibilities. And that to me is, is such a joy to life. And I feel like such a gift becoming paralyzed and learning that at such a young age and having that really be embedded in me and everything that I do, you know, throughout my life. And I'm still relatively young and I still have way more life to live. And I hope, and I know it's going to stay with me. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one more quote, and this is the last one, I promise. I'm like doing your whole book, right? Um, <laughs> hardly, but <laughs> hardly. No, just these are, I just took snippets to show people how wise you are for your, if, if anybody, this is not a video podcast, so nobody can see what a young, beautiful person you are. So, so, but they, they can tell in your voice, I think how young you are and your enthusiasm. So, um, but you wrote, Choose to choose. Feeling confined is a choice. Choose compassion for yourself and those around you. Choose to see your situation as an opportunity to expand internally, or better yet, as a moment in time space to realign and focus on your path of well-being and purpose. And that's what we want to do. Yeah. But it's so hard to do. How do you make that choice when you're feeling overwhelmed and depressed? And you just told us, I think you said, you said it's what else is possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, you're, you're, you're laying in a hospital bed and like nothing seems good. Okay. What are some, something good to focus on a warm washcloth? Okay. That is good. (laughs) The loving care of a nurse. Okay. That is good. There is a tree outside that I can see. Okay. That is good. Just, it could be very small things. It could be very, even insignificant to what most people's standards are, you know, today, but just find those little itty bitty tiny things. And just like law of attraction, I mean, there's science behind this, like it just keeps growing. So focus on what does make you happy, what does bring you joy and more things are just going to naturally be drawn to you. Perfect. You know, that's the, the, that's the perfect way to end, but I don't want to end. There's a couple of things I want to point to you. I, I talk about it at the beginning, but I want you to, to plug it yourself. Um, you're quite the traveler. Um, and no one would probably believe it, although you hinted at jumping out of an airplane. And, um, so, um, you, you formed this, I've, I've, I've just blanked on it. It's a uh, wheelchair traveling. Is that it? Yes. Wheelchairtraveling.com. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be in my show notes, but I, I just blanked for a minute. Wheelchairtraveling.com. It, the website is amazing. Um, I, I'm not in a wheelchair. I don't even like to travel. So there you go. But I, it's like, I looked at this and it's like, it's, it's an amazing website. The, 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 the tr- tips and tricks about 
you know, the size of wheelchairs and you, you know, look for this and look for that. And you can go here and you can go there. And uh, so if you, if you would Possibilities. like, to, yeah, if you would like to plug this or talk anything about it, now's the time go for it, Ashley. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like my site is definitely a big passion of mine because I want people no matter what their mobility is um, and it's all going to change. I, I'm paralyzed. I can't walk at all, but I might be able to do more than somebody who's able-bodied and um, vice versa. You know, when I get, you know, when you, when you start aging, you know, like you, you get a little bit more limited on how far you can walk, where you can go. So I, I really kind of detail, you know, hiking trails and about flying on an airplane and, you know, how, how long a trail is and what, what is it like to um, take a tour, you know, in Egypt, you know, like how accessible is that going to work? And what are the bathrooms like? And um, how am I going to get around all of those details? And of course I have, you know, tour companies and hotels and Airbnbs and different tour companies around the world that I represent. And um, something that I would actually think I, I rather, I rather end with. because I feel like it kind of also reflects, um, you know, the power, the power of perception and, you know, controlling your thoughts and, and your actions and such. Uh, my last trip that, that I took, my last international trip that I took was to New Zealand and it was right before the pandemic. I actually came home right as President Trump was closing the borders. He literally closed the borders. I came, I was in the air when the borders were closed. And so oh I, I came in on the Saturday and they, they, they let me through. Um, but two days before I came home, I was actually in a car accident. I was driving to a lake and um, on the way back, it was a one lane dirt road, very rocky. Uh, my car didn't have four wheel drive and my car, the, the road kind of bent down into the right. And in this one particular area, no other spot on the road, but this one particular area, um, the stretch had all compact rocks. So when my tires hit it, I immediately started sliding very much parallel to the accident that, that paralyzed me. Right. Very much parallel. And so I'm sliding, I'm sliding. And on the east side of the road, there are these very deep gutters and I have, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I, you stay in the center of the road. If I hit one of these gutters, I'm going to, it's going to flip me, but the car's just too heavy. Can't hold it. Car hits the, the gutter, go flying into the air, go flying into the air. And I remember so very clearly and feeling so calmly, like nonchalantly, even just like, okay, this is happening. In, in full acceptance, like it was to me, it's still kind of weird, like how, <laughs> how, how calm I felt. I'm like, okay, yeah, like no big deal. Okay, this, this is happening. Like it was almost like a Disneyland ride. Like, okay, this is no big deal. And blacked out for a minute, woke up to the car still rolling. Remember seeing the passenger side window above me and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to crawl out of this window being paralyzed. But luckily the car kept rolling and it landed upright. Uh, airbags didn't deploy and uh, oh, the car still worked. Thank goodness. But I couldn't go back the way I came. The ravine bushes and the, and the fence and everything was just too mangled. But I figured there had to be a gate somewhere. I was in a fence. There had to be a gate somewhere. So I went driving around the perimeter looking for a gate, found it. But it was um, about halfway up this really big hill. And there was no way that I could stay in the car to, to open it, just the way the gate was positioned. So I actually had to climb get out of the car in my wheelchair, wheel over super soft dirt, which was basically like quicksand going over just crazy difficult. And then rung by rung, I climbed up the fence, literally like rung by rung, like a cliffhanger 
until I reached the latch, um, could barely reach, couldn't reach the latch and was just sitting there. You know, I screamed for help a couple of times. Of course, I tried to call, you know, their 911, but I had no cell phone reception in the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, I just couldn't reach it, but I'm like, you know what, there's nothing else that I need to do right now, but reach this latch. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that I need to do. That's my only task right now. So this is just what has to happen. And I was just envisioning, you know, go, go gadget, you know, that cartoon from the early late eighties, early nineties. And I'm like, okay, somehow my arm just has to reach longer. That's just what has to happen. (laughs) And finally, eventually it did the latch clicked open. Um, it, uh, almost knocked me out of my wheelchair, but didn't scale back down the hill. The ground was so soft though, knocked myself out of my wheelchair. But then at that point, I'm like, this wheelchair is worthless anyway. So I threw it in the car, got myself into the car, tried to go up the hill, but there was no traction. The car was smoking, you know, tried a couple of times, didn't work. So what I had to do was I'm like, okay, I'm just going to have to, you know, climb up this hill. And the reason why I wanted to go up this hill too, is because the road was on the other side of this hill. And I knew right. if, 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 to be rescued, I had to get back to this road. And so um, I threw my bag out. It had my passport and stuff. And um, luckily, New Zealand has very strong grass, very deeply rooted. And um, I used it as a rope. I would pull with one hand and push with, with my other hand and pull myself up this, this ravine. And, um, and it was so funny because I was so grateful. I was so grateful for so many things. I could have just not have asked for a better accident. Like every single, yes, I was in an accident. Yes, I was in an accident. But I literally could not have asked for a better scenario in every single step that that I had been taking. And I just felt so grateful. The weather was perfect. I wasn't worried about any snakes or weird creatures, you know, coming at me or anything like that. Um, I felt safe. And um, I was so grateful for this New Zealand grass because without it, I wouldn't have been able to climb up this ravine. It would have just taken me forever. I mean, not to say I couldn't, but it would just been horribly difficult, more difficult. And um, I was, I remember screaming a couple of times, you know, like, thank you, New Zealand grass. I love you. And then just cracking up, you know, I was just having like, like a fun time with it. And I knew I was going to be rescued. It just wasn't, it just, you know, no fear. I wasn't, yeah, yeah, I wasn't scared at all. And when I got to the top, I I rested a little bit and I saw two hawks flying above me, which was definitely a sign of my father. Whenever I see hawks or I hear hawks, I know it's just my dad being like, you know, hi, you know, you're you're okay or it's going to be okay. And so, um, but I still had to get get to the road because there was a barn and a shed and the grass was so tall. There was all these bushes. Nobody could see me, you know, driving past. I had to get to the road. So I I crawled across the meadow. Um, Still, there's been no cars. Eventually, yeah, finally a car did come by. Luckily, the window was rolled down, screamed from help. And um, they pull over and they come running at, at me. And I'm like, I was on the ground, you know, because I'm paralyzed, of course. And um, I didn't want them to worry. I was very concerned about them thinking that I was a lot worse than, than I was. I was perfectly fine, 100% perfectly fine. Nothing was broken or bleeding. I was perfectly fine. And I'm like, hey, I'm paralyzed but it's okay. I've been paralyzed for 20 years and that's why <laughs> I'm on the ground. And so they go get my wheelchair. And the next day I go to the doctor and the doctor's just like, you just did all that. Like, yeah, you can fly. You're fine. You're totally fine to fly. And yeah. And yeah. made it back home in, in one piece. That's amazing. And, and, and for, for somebody who just really does not like to travel, this is just an amazing story. I mean, I don't even like to 
wait around and take my shoes off in the airport, let alone <laughs> rescue myself with no New Zealand grass. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was uh, actually like another reason though, why I too, I wrote this book because after oh. then like surviving that and the parallel of that, and then going through COVID, you know, all of this COVID stuff is happening. And I come back to the United States and everybody is just in sheer panic. And I'm just like, you know what, if no I wanted to deal. go, if yeah. I like, if God want, if this was my time, like I had my out, like I had my out, like I could have gone like, so this COVID thing is not going to get me period the end. No questions. Like that's just it. That's just the story that I'm writing. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that you wish that I would have talked about or asked you about, but didn't? I'm sure. I'm sure there's probably a million things that I could say or, or think about. Like, <laughs> but I guess I think the most important thing is for people to work on controlling that perspective, yeah. controlling that perspective. You know, you're in an awful situation. You know, you have a bad meal at a restaurant. OK, it's it's not your favorite meal. It's not a bad meal. You know, there was still care that was put into it. And think about the farmers, you know, who put into growing the growing that food and think about you know, all the little, you know, the wait staff and the person who even built the building to, like to the restaurant, think about all these little things to make, to allow this meal to happen in that space and time. You know, that to me is, is perspective. You know, it's not just about you and, oh yeah, this, my food's cold or, you know, I've had better mashed potatoes or whatnot. It's like, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more things going on in every single moment. So there's, there's so much to be grateful for and appreciate no matter where you are. Oh, Ashley, thank you so much for being like the most, well, you're delightful, number one, um, delightful guest on the show. It was wonderful to talk with you today. And uh, I, I can't wait for my listeners to hear and, and tell me how much they enjoyed you. Um, so thank you for being a part of this podcast. Thank you for having me very much. That's it for this episode. I told you it was amazing. And I encourage you to reflect on how you can use Ashley's so story to see what you can do, not what you can't. Remember her and remember what she said about shifting your perspective. It's all a matter of perspective and to notice the small things. And now for our end announcements, don't forget that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported everyday sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The sangha is currently studying the Diamond Sutra. And please consider supporting the efforts of this podcast and related groups by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to blogs, members-only podcasts, an education series, a private Facebook group, the Introduction to Buddhism class, and the new bonus contemplation podcasts. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any of your social media platforms that we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. Go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on the tab that says Join Community or Sangha. I can't stress enough how thankful I am to those of you who do 
donate, or join our groups. Since I do not seek podcast sponsors and do not ask for financial commitments through paid podcast memberships, my work and the cost of the infrastructure needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded except for your donations. Thanks, too, to all of you who write in with comments and questions. I do read every email message I get, but I can't always respond. Another way you can help is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. And if you could, take a minute to comment so people know why you love everyday Buddhism. That's all for the announcement. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. <music>